It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Freaky Friday here on Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm one of your hosts. I don't remember where we're from. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. I'm Felisco. And with us today is Genevieve Koski from Vulture.com, one of the one of the co-hosts of the next picture show podcast. It's um cinema podcast, much like this one. And uh an incredible guest that that uh, has agreed to come on and talk to us about an incredible episode of Freaks and Geeks. So thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We're, I mean, I'm obviously I'm, I'm very excited to have you here, but also you know you had the um, the pleasure of interviewing Paul Feig, if I'm not mistaken, for AV Club a couple years ago. I did. Yes, the I uh, we did a walkthrough of every episode of, of Freaks and Geeks. Uh, so we could not have asked for a better guest. <laughs> you, you know you that, really... that 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 interview spanned about. Uh, six months. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> we, we did. We did about. We we got. We were able to cover about half of the episodes, and then Paul just got so exhausted that he kind of uh, disappeared for a while. Before sure. <laughs> yeah. Before I mean, we, fair. Yeah, pick it back up. <laughs> but at least, I mean, I I I went through all of them um, recently, and and it's a it's a really. I mean, it's a, it's a great obviously set of interviews, but you know, it, it's very colloquial and it and it feels very real. It feels like it's from the heart from him. Um, which is, you know, as is the case with a lot of these interviews, they can sometimes get a little bit uh, perfunctory, but it did feel as though he, um, you know, feels like you, you got to him, you know, and, and, and really, uh, got some really great questions there. So, um, we are focusing on episode 117 today, uh, the little things, um, I'm going to give a brief synopsis real quick. Um, after Ken's girlfriend, Amy reveals to him that she was born intersex. 
uh, or sorry, born an intersex woman, Ken questions his sexuality and his over-analysis of his relationship with her leads to the conclusion that he has to break up with her, but reconsiders after talking with Sam. Sam is having trouble dating Cindy, who reveals herself to be shallow, rude, and egotistical. Uh, he tries to find the courage to break up with her. Lindsay struggles with asking Vice President George Bush a question during the assembly. Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, the Little Things aired on July 8th, 2000, and it was written by John Kasdan and Jen Apatow and Mike White and was directed by Jake Kasdan. Um, so you've rewatched a couple episodes to prepare, perhaps, or at least this episode, I'm hoping. Oh, I, yeah, I've rewatched. Uh, I, I, my initial intent was to rewatch the whole series, oh, wow. but uh, I ended up having to uh, skip a, a couple episodes sure. to, you know, to, to get through it all. In Nine, time. ten. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I rewatched this episode as well as the one before it and the one after it. So I could revel in the entirety of Sam and Cindy's <laughs> relationship. Yeah. Which, you know, um, well, before we get to all of that, I, I want to ask you sort of. What does this show mean to you? How did it come into your life? How did you connect with it? And uh, and how does it feel today as opposed to perhaps when you watch it the first time? You know, it, it, it's funny. My my first memory of Freaks and Geeks is not watching it uh, when okay. it was originally on the on the air uh, in nineteen in nineteen ninety nine. I was a uh, junior in high school, living in suburban Michigan, so uh, about as close as you could be to Lindsay Weir's yeah. experience. You know, Seriously, and, uh, literally what Lindsay was. <laughs> and, uh, and so Freaks and Geeks was on the air at that time. Um, and I did not watch it, but my mom did. And the my first memory of Freaks and Geeks is her watching it and asking me to like watch it with because it was a Friday night, you know, it aired on Friday nights. Her asking me to watch it with her and being like, "No, I'm going to hang out with my friends." <laughs> and <laughs> like, I, like, like I just gotten my license, you know, I was uh, was, I was a busy high school junior. Um, and, and, and in my head, the episode she asked me to watch was Tricks or Treats, uh, or, uh-huh. or yeah, yeah, Tricks yeah, yeah. Or Treats, the, the Halloween episode, mm-hmm. uh, because something very there's a very similar storyline with with Lindsay and her mom where where she bails oh. on her. Um, oh, right, I, I of course, can't, oh, I can't man. say for sure, you know. It's a twenty-year-old memory. If that is indeed the case, but it's if that possible. is indeed the case, but that's what I what I hope it was. <laughs> um, but but so I I watched it for the first time a few years later uh, when I got the the box set, the Shout Factory box set. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I'm I'm struggling to remember exactly what year it was. Sometime in either college or grad school. It was 04, um, if I'm not mistaken, or four yeah, or five. Yeah, oh, yeah, is when it came out, which honestly seems a little early for me to have watched it. Um, I, I I suspect I probably watched it a couple years after the box set came out uh, when I was just like that was like the heyday of the the box set binge. You know, uh-huh. it was it was pre. Yeah. Netflix streaming and uh you know I was I was just burning through a lot of series at that time and I I have I I know I watched Undeclared in grad school and I know I watched Undeclared after Freaks and Geeks so I I think I probably binged them in close proximity and around like 2006 or so and then um you know of, of course loved it and then revisited it uh in fairly in depth in order to do that interview with Paul Feig and I think that was 2012 or yeah, something I think that's right so, yeah um, so honestly, that experience talking to Paul Feig is probably my strongest memory, sure. <laughs> just because it, it required me to dig so deep into it and, you know, listen to all the commentaries and read all the supplementary materials. And, you know, that's when I, you know, became as, probably as close to an expert as, I, as I've ever been on the show. You know, th- my memories have significantly faded since then, but that was like the height of my uh, Freaks and Geeks 
freaks and geeks awareness. It's quite the height to be able to mm-hmm. to talk with the creator about about this mm-hmm. this tremendous television show. Yeah, and, we, and we hope this is another little peek in your freaks and geeks <laughs> oh, yeah, experience. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, talking I with a couple a chance, of geeks, so, you know, like when it, I, I don't have a lot of opportunities these days to rewatch things because as a TV editor, I have to just be constantly watching new things and sure. staying on top of it. So I have to have a reason to to rewatch uh, an old series. So this was a, a great reason to do it. Yeah, I mean, and it, it it holds up so incredibly well as as you know. Obviously, we've talked about it on our, on our previous episodes. Um, I, I will say though, the the commentary tracks which I've tried to listen to, it's kind of a cacophony of voices. It's really not. It's it's a yeah. it's a tricky commentary. It's like a really bad podcast. It sort of is. There's yeah. like six people in that room, and you're trying to sort of decipher who's who, and it's and they're all just having a good time hanging out together, which is nice, yeah. but doesn't make for exactly the most uh, entertaining commentary track. But it's pretty easy on the on the little things commentary because you have Seth Rogen who is right. the most distinctive voice, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also Mike White. Mike White has a pretty distinctive voice too. So, this is true. You know, this is can true. pick them out, but yeah, I agree with you. Everything else is just sort of like white noise. I, you know, you bring up Seth Rogen, and and this feels like a good opportunity to sort of talk about how this is sort of the episode that that births him or his career mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. You know, it's the moment when. Uh, when Judd, I guess maybe most specifically, sort of sees the potential in his acting ability, um, and 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 sort of that very um, very real, genuine. He feels like a real guy. Um, and I'd and say that, for the first and only time in the whole series, and I don't mean <laughs> yes, I, yes, that's yes, not yes, throwing yeah. shade. They don't really use him yeah. this way anywhere else. For sure, yeah, a little bit in the first Amy, yes, um, yeah. episode, yeah. Um, but the laser show, the laser yeah. show, exactly, but. That's you know, for, that's kind of garden variety stuff. That's mm-hmm. I, I'm into a girl. He's good in it though. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's great. He's great in the whole series. Mm-hmm. But um, this he is different. Deep here. Not yeah. a lot of people have to play this stuff. And I'll tell you my favorite scene with him. Please, when he admits that he was raised by a nanny. Yes, which yeah. which I actually unlocks Ken. Was that <laughs> unlocks Ken? It, it does. That unlocks Ken. Which yeah, I, I think that's that's the most shameful admission in the entire show. Was that he was raised that w- yeah. that a character was raised by a nanny? Because um, we have so many parents really in well. this show. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really interesting to sort of and listen. You know, obviously, you and I are in writers' rooms. You never really know why the, what the the real reason behind that. If it's because they didn't really want to introduce another character, but it's a perfect thing for him. It but, really unlocks him. But I'll say, Phil, yes. In your next room, yes. Do you think it would be more likely for a fellow writer to? Uh, Admit that they were intersex. They grew. They were born intersex, or that they were raised by a nanny. I I, I don't have an. Answer. I think I think intersex. <laughs> I was sure <laughs> that might be true, but I I think that the you know the the key scene in this episode, I think, or at least the scene that sort of most overtly shows what Seth is capable of, is the scene obviously where Amy tells him that she's intersex, and the way that he registers that information in a way that you know he doesn't want to obviously insult her and he doesn't want to seem like that weirds him like he there's just a whole host of things going on in his head and i think that that seth considering the stage he was in his career to be able to convey all of that sort of that that maelstrom of stuff going on inside his head i thought was was very impressive and it sounds like that scene was uh somewhat uh improvised between him and um yeah, and uh, I mean, kind of considering the trajectory of uh, his and Judd Apatow's work together, and you know the extent to which uh, improv, 
you know, uh, plays a role in, 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 their, in their work together. <laughs> sure. Uh, it, it, it does kind of, um, uh, it, 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 it's a nice detail to the the Seth Rogen origin story here that it was you know the this moment of improv of not of not even like particularly comedic improv no. that that sort of brought him to our attention and ostensibly uh, Judd's as well. Yeah, it felt like the they they rehearsed it a lot, but they also kind of played around with it a lot. It yeah. felt very sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt very real. It felt sort of messy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, sort of a, a hallmark of of what makes the show so special is the fact that they're willing to go to those places and they're willing to sort of allow these characters to be fallible and 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 human. Um, it's it's really it's it's one of those episodes. You know, it was nominated for for a Glad Award, um, and it's it still feels groundbreaking. I mean, in 1999, I it's hard to believe that this aired for all intents and purposes and to watch it today, it still feels very, you know, powerful. I don't know how, how you felt about it, Kenny, but I think it feels powerful. I think the power is almost in, um, how non judgmental yeah. the show is and the character is of the situation. Um, that, that surprised me. I think there, and, and you know, it's not, I wouldn't expect any show that I ever liked to like be making jokes about this. Sure. But I would expect shows that I like to, um, potentially maybe have the character react in a, in a harsh, in a, in a, in yep. a more harsh way, mm-hmm. yeah. at least initially, right? Like, yeah. like the, the, the most harsh thing he does is kind of like lamely hug her. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, kind of give her a hug instead of a kiss, or like a yeah, kind yeah. of friend, and that's really um, sensitive. It's a real sensitive way to deal with it. Well, they also do something oh. really. Sorry, Genevieve, did you have something to say? Sorry. Oh, I, I was I was just going to pipe in with another example. Please, if you yeah. Want to ping up. Okay. Um. Well, he also, you know, threatens to beat up. I think it's Daniel who yes. says hi, guys. Yeah. Threatens. He punches him in the face. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it also also fitting for a, a 16, 17 year old boy who is, you know, wrestling with this this information that he has no way to sort of wrap his head around, you know, like it would be, you know, maybe like a 17 year old today in 2019 would would be able to roll with it much easy, much more easily, but you know, certainly in 1980, I th- I feel like Ken's reaction is is pretty in line and probably pretty in line with what you would expect of someone like him and probably the the best you could hope for that's what yeah, i think yeah for but, sure but that's that's I that's why that's- i love the show because because they generally do have at least our core characters present the best version of what you could expect out of them for sure for sure i think there's also something very delicate about the way he responds but also to your point genevieve today i think you would just be a little bit more educated on it, or at least education would be at your fingertips through, you know, the internet or what have you. If, if you were someone who was presented with something like this, I don't think it would feel as perhaps as, as foreign kids also truly care less about these things. Yeah, well, that's true. Too. Truly, truly yeah. like, like it's, it's, it's inculcated in a way that, um, that's amazing to me. I think I, I may have told you this, but I'll, I'll relay mm-hmm. the story again. I hope my kids like don't listen to this in the future and get <laughs> embarrassed. But okay. the, I have twins who are seven. One, my son Rollins has a crush and my daughter Layla is trying to figure out the crush. 
Oh, nice. And Layla very matter-of-factly said, is it a boy or a girl? And Rollins very matter-of-factly said, it's a girl. But it wasn't mm. It wasn't any other reaction other yeah. than it could be this or that. Then later, Layla says she has a crush. <laughs> and Rollins is guessing her crush and interchangeably guessing boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> it could be anybody, right? Like, like, yeah. awesome. and, and oh, and, and I, I do want to stress this isn't because they're ignorant. Like, right. this isn't because they're like ignorant of what like crushes are, what it means. Like, <laughs> they are very aware of homosexuality. There are gay parents at our school. We have gay friends. They, they, they just understand that that's just another possibility out there. And the the judgment and stigma around it has lessened to a point where I, my kids haven't even registered it, which is fantastic. Which is amazing. Which is an amazing thing. Yeah, so I do yeah. think kids, I think high schoolers, they, this is different. And I do think like it gets lost a little bit, the difference between gender identity and sexual identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is this is sexual identity. This is not – I mean I'm sorry, sorry. This is gender. This is gender identity, yeah. not, not, not sexual preference. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's a little different thing going on there. There's still some stigma attached with – intersex issues and trans issues and yeah. things about that, about the way people present themselves versus the, um, the body they were, they were born with. Sure. But, uh, I do think that stigma's dying and which is great to see within it, particularly yeah. within the last two, three years. I mean, I think that they, you know, if there are quote unquote jokes to be had within this storyline, it's, it's on the Ken thinking he might be gay side of things and sort of him trying to kind of process that specifically by listening to David Bowie. Good music. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and disco. Everybody, and disco. everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, I know, I guess David Bowie. Interesting. I mean, he could have probably gone, you know, Freddie Mercury or something, maybe a little bit more overtly, but long story short, I think it's great that that's Ken's sort of connection. You know that, what I mean? And also getting the, the play pen, which I believe is Playgirl. <laughs> um, the play pen. I yes. TV yes. always used the, um, the, the the fake versions of those, mm-hmm. but this the Playpen magazine yeah. to figure out, yeah, is this is what I'm into. And going to Mr. Rosso, of course. His of gay course. teacher, of course. <laughs> which is probably which is probably an unfairness. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. that I was gonna say that's kind of the low point of the of the show to some extent. Like yeah. the the that's that's on a little bit of the, you know, forty year old version, I know you're gay because it's yeah. So. It's a little bit low-hanging fruit i mean just in the sense of it's being a little bit like why are we going here we don't need to go here it's not my favorite joke it's not my favorite. i, I the, the the joke is overtly you have emotions therefore you're gay yeah um i think i think it it uh maybe works better with the context of the deleted scene with mr kochevsky yes which if you could talk about that that'd be great because yeah, i didn't have a chance a- to watch it <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a deleted scene on the on the DVD set. Um, I think uh, Paul Feig actually talks about it in that in that interview as well, mm-hmm. where um, uh, Ken, after going to Rosso, goes to Kouchevsky. Kouchevsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can never say that. <laughs> um, goes to Kouchevsky and uh, who reveals to him that he's gay. Uh, so just a oh, real, you know, sort of a last minute uh, <laughs> revision of the, of the character there. But it's ac- it's actually quite a long scene and a very good scene and another very good Seth Rogen scene. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a sort of an interesting character pairing. Um, and, and, and in it, Kouchevsky says basically like something to the effect of like Rosso keeps sending people, to, keeps sending kids to me who think they're gay. <laughs> like, like the joke is that That's this funny. keeps happening. Um, it's a so shame it's actually, that they cut that. Cause I, 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 
it this scene the scene you're talking about the Kochesky scene sounds more interesting mm-hmm. than the Rosso scene which if if we're being honest could have been pulled pretty easily from the episode and not really hurt it the 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 joke of Rosso sending <laughs> that's what i mean like sending the, the, getting yeah. questioning kids to Kochesky is really really funny to me <laughs> That's that that that's a that's a that's a straight dummy. Plus, if I'm not mistaken, Genevieve Kochevsky is played by Steve Banos, who's one of the writers on the show. Am I not? Am I right in that assessment? Um, he I may have had so. some um, hand in. He might have had a hand in writing some episodes. I don't know if he was actually. Oh, he he has a credit on smooching and mooching. It looks like. Yeah, but he I was one of the writers for sure. Was, but yeah. I, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't think he was like in the room all season or whatever. But he maybe worked on, yeah. on an episode. Yeah. Either way, I think I, I first of all what I what I like about the Kachewski being gay thing is he's not overtly so. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's one of those you know I mean did you get that impression, King? No, I mean I don't want to like. <laughs> there's no such thing. Like I, I, I just like, I mean in the sense I mean, that it's I, I not, get, in, in the seventies or in the eighties yeah some you understand what I'm saying like yeah but like that was like that was exactly uh, that was exactly Ken's point it's like I've never seen you date and then Rasa goes sure I'm not giving my dates to school that's <laughs> <laughs> true that's true yeah. um, uh, Kochevsky does have that line in an earlier episode when he's talking about Daniel and he says something about his bedroom eyes he basically acknowledges that that's Daniel true. Is, a, is a very attractive so you know you could read into that if, if you wanted but I, I, I acknowledge that every episode I, I don't think we're being planted at that point <laughs> this is true I mean Franco I mean yeah he's, he's, he's an attractive man <laughs> yeah. yeah you don't have to be gay to know that it's true nope. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit, um, sort of thematically about the episode. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to read a, a brief portion from, uh, Emily Vanderwerf's review of it, uh, in the AV club uh, a couple years ago. She said, one of the many things I find so fascinating about Freaks and Geeks is that the show is so smart about disappointment. Certainly as a child, one can be disappointed by trivial things like not getting the Christmas present you wanted or important things like your parents never coming through for you. But adolescence is where one gets the first taste of the fact that so much of life is going to be colored by things not quite what you wanted them to be, even when they do go well. In the little things the last episode of Freaks and Geeks ever produced, Ken, Sam, and Lindsay all deal with the fact that they didn't – that." Things didn't turn out like they wanted them to. And Lindsay in particular sees the way that adulthood can turn into just one damned disappointment after another if you're a hardcore idealist who expects everyone to live up to certain standards. It's an emotionally complex, often beautiful episode, and it continues to provide shading for some of the serious side characters like Mr. Rosso and Cindy. But what hangs over the episode, even with that stirring climax is the way all three of those characters come to see the world with slightly more cynicism. Sometimes you can see your way past disappointment to realize your love for another person is stronger than whatever disappointed you. And sometimes you realize your disappointment makes you either your earlier affection seem silly, but sometimes life is just disappointing. A big part of journeying through adulthood is about that. And also, and along with Rosso, Lindsay takes steps towards that voyage. It's telling them that the episode ends on her question, but not on the answer. The question, the setup, the initiation... Uh, is what's important. The answers will almost always bring everything back down to earth. And I think that there's, I mean, the episode is about disappointment. You know what I mean? Thematically, it's about things just not playing out the way that you thought that they were going to. Um, you know, and, and and this feels like a good opportunity to sort of pivot a little bit towards the the Cindy and Sam stuff because they, you know, they knew the show was going to be canceled and they knew they weren't going to have the runway that they necessarily wanted for the turn with Cindy. And it feels a little abrupt, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay with it since they're they're young and I could see emotions turning on a dime. I don't know how you guys I'm very that. okay with it. Yeah. Genevieve? 
Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the abruptness. I think that um, what works least for me in this uh, episode is the the way that Cindy turns. It just it feels like a bit too abrupt and strong of a heel turn for mm-hmm. for that character. Um, and she's she's just. She's just a little too terrible, you know. <laughs> um, and like, I, 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 like it's, it's obviously we're obviously seeing it through Sam's eyes, you know. And like I, you know, we could uh, assume that there is maybe some heightening happening there through his perception. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, this this is someone that he presumably had long phone conversations with for a long time before they started dating. You know, that was sort of like what what led her to think he's a nice guy. And right. I suppose that, that that could have just been her talking at him, you know, and him saying, uh-huh, because that seems kind of what their dynamic is. But like, it, it feels weird that she becomes so horrible so fast. And me, me, and also there's the, um, the moment in the previous episode where she kind of like makes her move on Sam and yeah. she says, and she says something about Todd, like, like he's only interested in one thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, like I read into that, like, like something kind of traumatic went down between Cindy and Todd. Like that's, that's kind of what I took from that. You know, um, I don't think it was anything too serious, Sure, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, th- I think like her comfort level may have gotten pushed too far and maybe she is bringing that experience into her relationship with Sam now. Um, so there's, there's just like, there's a, there's a little more depth that I want out of the Cindy characterization that I understand like intellectually we can't get in an episode that is already doing so much and is already like the, the show's already done essentially at this point, you know, like I, I'm wanting something that realistically wouldn't work, mm-hmm. but it just, the, the Cindy characterization just leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. Maybe it's just because I don't like the jerk either. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Amazing. I, you know, um, it's I, I don't disagree with you. I, I mean, I, I, I'll say this: I it didn't it didn't bother me so much because I felt like in order for Sam to break up with her to get off this sort of pedestal that he had put her on, maybe unjustly, she needed to be sort of overtly awful. Mm-hmm. And and I and I say that because and Republican. It, and Republican. Like to me, the line that that is maybe the one that hit me the hardest from Cindy is when she said when she asked how much the grandmother's heirloom cost. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just sort of and that's not her being a terrible person. That's just her sort of having her, I don't know, priorities out of whack to some degree or another. Gonna, I think it's her having a narrow view of what a relationship is too, like a, sure. a, a narrow and youthful view, you know, like, Oh, my, my boyfriend should buy me nice things, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm going you know. to do some devil's advocating. Sure. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing I would say, I agree with you, Genevieve. I think the heel turn, uh, does come a little abruptly. The, my, my, argument in favor of it is not i mean it's not that it needs to be so harsh but we actually don't see cindy that often in her own group Mm -hmm. on her own um terms in her own kind of uh in her own territory so i think some things some some windows and doors get opened in these circumstances that otherwise wouldn't um that being said 
it does kind of make this a, a Cindy story when what I do feel like it should be is more of a Sam has spent 16 episodes trying to get this girl who is more or less perfect up until this episode. Yeah, and then he, then he doesn't know what to do with her. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very real to me because yeah. I, my sense is, look, I've always thought that, that the, the kind of underpinning of the show is Sam is a kid who is late to puberty while everyone else around him is, is going, has gone through or is going through puberty. He's playing catch up. He doesn't know what to do. And the whole thing has been a little bit of a front anyway. He's not, there's a little Charlie Brown with the, with the little redhead girl in this, in that she's more of an object than a person. So to kind of make her a bad person, mm-hmm. take Sam off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, this is true. Which I'm not totally thrilled about. Um, there was another point that I disagreed with it, but I forgot what it was. And- <laughs> well, well, yeah, go ahead. I, I, wanna, I, want, I want to pick that up. Because yeah, please. That, that, that's, that's very astute. And it actually kind of feels uh, like a parallel to the Ken and Amy plot and a, a, a yeah. bit as well, because, you know, we're getting a story about Ken through Amy's experience, more, more or less, you know, a character who, you know, all, all we know about Amy is what we've gotten through, through Ken. And it ends up being... And then I, you know, there, I, I think there's critiques to make uh, there just in terms of how the show chose to broach that topic via that character at this stage in the game. And it feels a little, well, we, we can get into that a, a little sure. later. Yeah. But just how it turned, how it used that to tell a story about Ken that wasn't reliant, that wasn't so reliant on as as we've said, making fun, making jokes at Amy's expense, and it feels that they don't achieve that same sort of balance with the uh, with the other relationship. I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I think that there's. I mean, I think it's interesting as well, just to sort of um, from a higher altitude, just like us talking about the 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 Cindy Sam relationship and the the Ken and Amy relationship, and looking at Lindsay and Nick as well. Like all the relationships on this show are are sort of dysfunctional in one way or another. It feels like the most functional relationship are the, are the, the weirs. It's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, Sam and Lindsay's and parents. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting that this show is willing to sort of, and, and, and sort of gung ho on showing, you know, not, not just relationships that are not necessarily broken, but that are struggling people that are trying to find connection. You know, Emily Vanderwerf in, in a fair amount of, of her reviews talks about that, that it's a show about, trying to find connection because it does feel as though high school is that in a lot of ways, you know, it's just, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to connect with people. You're trying to find, you know, your, your, your friends and, and, and trying to figure out just the person that you want to be in the future. Um, and I think that Sam is probably struggling the most to your point, Kenny, in terms of just feeling like he's kind of been thrown in the deep end a little bit with Cindy and just not knowing how to sort of navigate those waters. Um, but I still think that, you know, I, I don't know. I it's a bummer that that this is sort of the end of Cindy's arc is the thing because I I don't yeah the last we see is her crying which is yeah. incredible in its own weird way <laughs> when she's she's introducing like, like, George like, Bush yeah one of the most cheerful characters in the whole series <laughs> it's, most it's cheerful great. nice character we see her brought low and crying at the, why do we think she was crying I I think she was cr- well if I'm not mistaken her line is about how her when she's talking to Sam about how she's frustrated that now she has to introduce, like they've broken up and now she has to introduce the, 
the vice president a, a moment that she was looking quite forward to. So I think it's her just being sad at the circumstances as opposed to mm-hmm. being like sad that she was getting broken up with. But like she does also say earlier that welfare makes people lazy. So yeah. <laughs> there's only so yeah. much sympathy I have for her. It just, yeah. yeah. And you know, the, the, the thing about the, uh, her not being impressed with the necklace because it yes. didn't cost anything that, that is objectively terrible, but I will say it's a very ugly necklace. Oh, that, so. that was going to be my rough. point. That was going to be my point <laughs> yeah. about how hideous necklaces, but no, not that. What was going to be my I, point I was. I kind of place the blame on Jean there. Like, like you're giving yeah. a family the heirloom black. to give to that's, this, like, that's, brand new 14-year-old yeah. girlfriend. Come on, exactly Jean. what I was going to say. It's like, if it, it was very easy for me in that moment before, like, we just despised, despised Cindy. Sure. Cindy. It was very easy for me to look at that moment and say, if this was a show about Cindy, yeah. who's giving her long, this kid who had a long time crush on her, a chance and he shows up with his grandmother's necklace on their first date. That is code red. That is yes. call nine one one territory. So like yeah. I how much did it cost? It, there's nothing she could say at that point that isn't as weird as showing yeah. up with an it's family weird. I'm, I mean maybe she was yeah. asking because she was afraid that he had spent money on it. It's so uh, we could give her a little bit of we could give her that I guess but I think you know one of the things that that this episode does as well that I'm I'm trying to think of other episodes that have done it and I'm sure there are they're just not on the top of my head but I love that the two storylines dovetail with Ken and Sam in the bathroom together mm-hmm. and how the two storylines literally talk to each other and Sam's you know lack of connection with Cindy illustrates to Ken how much of a connection he has with Amy. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's very clean, but it really works and it's a really nice scene and it makes, I don't know. It's just, a, it really makes you love Kent really more than anything with him just being like, I got to get over myself. Like, this is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a thing. I've found somebody that I really like and I should be with them. Um, and I also would argue too, that it feels like Ken kind of pushes Sam towards breaking up with Cindy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Those... For sure. This episode does contain two of my favorite scenes. One okay. is that scene in That's the great. bathroom. It's, it's like the the interaction between the freaks and the geeks are so limited throughout this series. Yeah. And the previous times they've been put together, it's it's a little forced for the most part. Mm-hmm. This is natural. They're going through the same thing. They have a reason to be talking to each other. In that yeah. moment, I understand um, the 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 advice they're kind of covertly giving each other. Um, 
it almost seems like if this was a 18 part movie that this was kind of emotionally what the stories were leading towards. I, I would agree. The, the other scene I'm fucking crazy about <laughs> for a much different reason is the, it, the Rosso yeah. car freakout scene. The fucking best. Mm-hmm. Um, everything the best. about his, everything about his performance there is, is so spot on. And in particular, um, he really, he really illustrates why the boomers are such a fucking disaster <laughs> and what they've done to this country. Um, How do you really feel? Okay. Oh, you know, I mean, I feel like the rest of my fellow Malens, but you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, the boomers yeah. are the worst. You know, I've, I've, I haven't said this on this podcast, but uh, Stephen King has my favorite line okay. about the boomers, of, of which he is one, yeah. which is essentially um, we had the chance to change the world, and instead we invented QVC, which is what they did. <laughs> Right. So I think yeah. that Ross is kind of staying the same thing, but he also said something that was like so upsetting, which was, you know, about them protesting the war at Berkeley. And then they went and ended it when they felt like it, mm-hmm. like all those protests, 15, 20 years of Vietnam, Vietnam protest meant nothing. It really upsets me about what we're going through now. That being sure. said, I do think all the marches have had a, a positive impact. I do think they've had I agree. a, yes, I agree. A, a palpable impact. I agree. I mean, I think that that scene is, um, it's fantastic for a, a myriad of reasons. It feels like it's it, it's it's really sad when he's talking about sort of just that his life has got away from him. And then to see him, and I, I hate saying the term selling out, but when he's all cleaned up at the end, you can't help but feel like he's relinquished something, you know, that he's sort of resigned himself to something. Which is, you know, a bummer of a place to leave Rosso in series, but it also feels very real. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I appreciated that, but I also feel like Lindsay asking the question is a victory for Rosso. Yeah, I I like the uh, parking lot scene that that you're talking about. Uh, also, for Lindsay's reaction in that moment, yes. you know, like this, Lindsay, Lindsay's role in this episode is kind of weird. Like she has sort of the sea story, like yeah. she's kind of floating around the edges, but she also is, you know, has kind of crucial moments in the the two uh, main relationship plots as well. Um, but in that moment, you know, you can see her seeing Rosso in a new light. And is it, is it before or after that, that where she says he's kind of hot? <laughs> I think uh, it's before, <laughs> but yeah, uh, she's kind of got a thing for Rosso. Yeah. Little thing yeah, for Rosso. You know, which, which is, <laughs> it was on, before on surface, yeah. it's like, whoa, but also like, I kind of get like, like having been a 16 year old girl, <laughs> like in high school and like there, there's like one teacher that, that like, they're just like their their life experiences uh, attractive to you in in some way or another, and I think that's what's going on here more than any sort of physical attraction on, on, on Lindsay's part. God, I hope, um, <laughs> uh, just purely because of the age difference. Yeah, uh, no shade to Dave Gruber Allen, but um, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's kind of an attractive he's man kind of, when, he, when he puts cool. his hair back in yeah. a in a ponytail braid, yeah. Yeah. Uh, puts yeah. on the suit, yeah, he's got a little up. something, yeah. I, I, yeah. <clears throat> I, but seeing Lindsay yeah. see him in a new light is satisfying as well. Yeah, it's it's also just I think that it's I don't want to say it's a cautionary tale because I don't think that that's really what it is. But I do think that she sees something in Rosso and sort of that obviously his meltdown in the parking lot, and then and then later when he's just sort of you know resigned himself to saying like you know and and playing whatever role he has to play. 
um, I think that it gives her, I think it also, if I'm being honest, I feel like it feeds into the finale as well. You know, he, he's the one who gives her the, the album, the, the, oh, totally. The, yeah. It, he feels like a little bit of a sort of a weather vane for her, um, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so for someone who has been, I don't want to say a punchline because I think he's much more than that, but has been sort of every time she's in his office or having a conversation with him, it, it does feel a little bit like she's rolling her eyes, even if she's not. So it's great for him to become a fully fledged person for her, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. And that's just such a, like a familiar moment as like, like as a teenager, adolescent, like when you realize that uh you know a teacher or a parent or whatever is a, a real person like that's yep. sort of a universal moment of of you know your your uh, it's like a universal empathetic experience you know realizing that the experience extends outside of your own world you know no for um, sure for sure it's yeah. also like when you see a teacher outside school and you're just like wait yeah. a second they have lives it's like a, it's a whole like your 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 head cracks open. Um, I I want to just sort of pivot back a little bit to to Sam and Cindy real quick because I do feel like there's there's kind of there is more at play here than just um, Sam feels like he you know she's not who he, that Cindy's not who he thought she was. I think there's also this he's sort of being pulled away from the geeks and he's, you know, he's sitting at the table with the jocks and the cheerleaders. He looks so small at that table. Everyone just looks mm-hmm. like they're, they're yeah. like, you know, 10 years older than him. And you can just see a kid who's just, he's just very uneasy. And, and admittedly, I think at times uh, he's played a little bit sort of pricklier than maybe they wanted it to feel because it really just feels like a kid who's just sort of in uncharted waters and he doesn't really know what to do and he's scared you know he's got mm-hmm. you know obviously he's got bill and, and neil they're his you know they're his life raft and now all of a sudden he's being pulled into a into a world of people that he doesn't really have and they're anything not even being with. mean to they're him. not it's really just, it's a super yeah. just a weird situation yeah. It's just someone who's just he's hanging out with people that he just doesn't have a you know connection with, and it, and it, and I think there's also a little bit of annoyance at himself. I mean, I don't want to say I don't you know I'll, I'll say this that I've been in situations or at least in high school there were certainly situations where I found myself falling for people just based on you know proximity or the way that they looked, and then you get to meet them, and you get to talk with them, and they're just not who you thought they were, and that can be disappointing and a little bit frustrating. So mm-hmm. I sort of understand that. But it's it's well done. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I really love to go back to to Rosso. I really love him arm twisting Lindsay into asking Bush the question because she doesn't even really want to mm-hmm. do it. No, which I think is also interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's he he is the kind of wind beneath her wings. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Which I think is kind of wonderful. Well, I and, lo- and she's and, and he's the one who, in the final moments, inspires her to ask a real question instead. Mm-hmm. You know, that that final like uh, look back he gives her, and as he's yeah. being led away, you know, that's a, a a real a real important moment for Lindsay. I she's think. his sleeper cell. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I just I love the way that the show at the end of the first of all, the show doesn't isn't really um, doesn't really condemn any of the adults. No. No, but but the one in the beginning of the show, you think that they're really making fun of is Rosso, who's like, <laughs> yes. who's like yes. this hippie turned the man, you know, who's trying to be cool. No, yeah. they they really turned it yeah. around and made they love you think they, they love him. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you want to know what? Anyone who becomes a high school guidance counselor has good in their heart. hundred percent. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. Um, speaking of, especially the- for twelve k a year. 
for 12. That's right. Of course. Um, to, uh, on the Bush question thing, I really loved the scene. Um, where Lindsay and Kim are talking about gotcha questions. Like they want to ask him like really hard hitting questions. It's like the idea that they want to blow up his potential, you know, political future, I think is, is really funny. Um, I also, Harris has a tremendous line in this episode where he says, laughter is the ultimate aphrodisiac. Get a woman laughing and you've got a woman loving. (laughs) (laughs) Harris just kills it on a regular basis. It's incredible. Like it's just, it's one amazing line after another with him. He also quotes, uh, return of the Jedi was, which was not out yet. Oh, right. (laughs) That's unfortunate. (laughs) Or maybe, maybe Yoda was quoting Harris. Oh, (laughs) that might be That's deep. I like that. I also love, I mean, I, you know, as you know, I'm not the world's biggest Sam fan, but I love the way he describes his relationship with, um, with Cindy. (laughs) He says, we went to the mall twice and then to this football game once. And after the game, we went to a different mall. <laughs> and, and then Neil goes, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> there is something truly sad about Neil being, you know, outside it the is, window, watching all of these people pairing off and him just being like, I, just someone, please. Um this is a, he's this, also the one who's like trying to keep Sam with Cindy, like whether as a sort of inroad to the popular kids or just because he can't fathom, you know, <laughs> yes, the the scenario. I th- and whereas I think Bill just you know wants Sam to come back to their lunch table. But yeah, Bill just wants his friend back. There's sort of an interesting parallel there with the uh, the scene where Ken tells uh, Daniel and Nick uh, about about Amy. Yeah, um, about her having a gun in a holster which going back to our previous discussion about them <laughs> yeah. not really making jokes that that, that might be one <laughs> but it, it's fairly that one's not so bad that's yeah, just yeah. you know that does lead yeah. into the scene where uh, the scene you're talking about where it's the three guys and they're all mm-hmm. and and he's sort of they're dancing around it over? yeah <laughs> i and this is a this might this is a super nitpicky thing but i found the geography of the way it was shot quite confusing we never had a wide shot that actually sort of explained the geography of where everybody was so their eye lines and where they were looking i just it was a oddly blocked scene so it took I don't want to say it took me out of it, but it just made me sort of a little it made my head hurt a little bit when i was trying to figure out like where everybody was um as I said, nitpicky and stupid, but it was just a thing that I noticed. Um, I, I think that um, the "Hey guys" thing is also kind of funny. It's it's yeah. it's, it's not. It's, 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 but we're laughing at Ken's expense, not right. Ken's. It's yes, not exactly. My favorite way into it, just because it's a little it, clunky. It's clunky. Yeah. That's not really a Daniel thing to say. <laughs> he, and he wasn't. Say, he didn't mean it like that. But even just, of course yeah. not. And yeah. even just, hey guys, it's like <laughs> he's, he's not so boring and basic. <laughs> it was obviously just a means to an yeah. end. Yeah. And they didn't. You know, a, a character way more likely is a hey guys. Yeah. First of all, the most likely is Lindsay. Sure. Secondly, 100%. Then Nick. Then Nick for you don't sure. want to get him punched in the face because that's like, you know, that's like, oh, yeah. It, it, it would, be, it would yeah. be punching down, even though he'd be literally <laughs> punching up. But you got to punch Franco. I get it. Like, yeah. in order to not hate Ken, you yeah. got to punch the alpha. But, like, still. I think hey, it's amazing hey. that Daniel's the alpha. Oh, it's not even a question. I, I know he is, but it's just like he's also just sort oh, of. Oh, Franco's never not been the alpha in any group he's been in. Has he ever played not the alpha? Um, I think Ken's Express? the alpha. Oh, he's the alpha. You think Ken's the alpha? 
<laughs> We've been hanging out in different wolf packs. <laughs> um, I, I think there's something interesting about Cindy being pissed at Sam for wearing a turtleneck covering up the hickey that she gave him. I don't. It's a great turtleneck. <laughs> it's a Such great a turtleneck. Great turtleneck. <laughs> it's also like. We think it's Harold's. It's enormous. You're right. It's gigantic. You want to? It's it's probably his mom's. It's probably jeans. It it might very well. Maybe it's Lindsay's. I I also have to say, hickeys are stupid. Oh yeah. I don't even. I think I think I knew that even in high school. Like like Like, clearly knows it too. Like like there's a very like. there's obviously some people out there who think hickeys are, are a good idea, but but who are they and why? I don't understand. It requires a lot of work to get it to, to happen. And I can't imagine the person giving one is enjoying the situation. And it's just dumb. Well, I guess it's a status symbol. Person which, giving you know, one could And that's like it? Cindy's whole thing. You know, she's, she's yeah. tied to the idea of popularity and yeah, that's... making out and, you know – which is uh, which is yeah. fucked up but i do think it yeah. speaks to in some way it's a it's a great representation of these people know nothing <laughs> these kids know nothing yeah, like they don't get it yeah. like it's just yes like what are you even supposed to do with a hickey it's dumb you know, everyone always wears the turtleneck the next day so it's like you're not even most yeah. people don't show it off I, the hickey gives us one good thing which is the moment between sam and Lindsay when she mm-hmm recognizes oh, that he has the hickey cute little sam it's it's just their I scenes are like, so sweet yeah i like I, yeah i love show. every moment yeah. between sam and Lindsay in this series it's just really really wonderful um i also think that sam and, and cindy's breakup is pretty real like it it's it's it kind of goes there in a in a way that i was a little surprised like they both sort of you know they exchange some some jabs but it's also just it really kind of comes down to sam saying i am nice I'm just not having any fun. Are you? Yeah. And her admitting that she's not, yeah. which I think is an important kicker there, mm-hmm. you know, which is, again, it's just, it's really what this show really does beautifully is showing people at an, at a sort of fulcrum point in their lives where they're transitioning and they're becoming adults and they say things that are very adult, but they don't completely know the power of them. If you know what I'm saying, so these are two people that are saying things that are true and they, and and mean something to each other. But at the same time, it's and you be, know, and because of this, which is very poignant, mm-hmm. the breakup is very poignant. The Republican stuff was low blow. It just was. It just it, it was it was laying a character low, and that's not really ultimately what it was about. It was about yeah. two people who yeah. have two different ideas about how to enjoy life, mm-hmm. essentially. So. Also, I, I think yeah. I think you could have gotten at it honestly just with the the jerk scene, you know, with, without yes. all the the Republican stuff. Because like, especially for a kid that age, especially for a geeky kid that age, like someone not loving the thing you love does feel like it's like so much more important. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, a personal insult. I totally yeah. agree with you. And yeah. and Sam doesn't give a fuck about politics he doesn't no, know. i mean he he's doesn't. a he but, but but we do and she could have she could have <laughs> yeah. i mean she could have been a republican and the writers do like that yeah, yeah. Like, that's like, what i mean like you know the writers uh opinions coming in i would have dropped the, the talking points i i you keep her as the head of the young republicans and i think everyone gets what's going on mm-hmm. the talk yeah. it's, it's the talking points that are so like yeah, like abhorrent. why are you talking about wealth <laughs> like welfare <laughs> like, what's wrong with you <laughs> It's like kicking her while she's yeah. down. It's, I, I would agree That's with right. you. I, I I don't think we needed that either. But I, I did. I liked. 
I also have to say that I liked Lindsay's question, if that makes any sense. Like it was a very smart question. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and wasn't even really political when you think about it. It was, it was really just a sort of, what are you doing? Like, what do you think I'm going to ask? Um, it probably would have ruined her life. (laughs) She's on a list somewhere, but yeah. And, and also, like, ending on that is a sort of a nice thematic button as well. Like, you know, what what Emily was writing about it being, a, you know, an episode about disappointment. I mean, it's also kind of an episode about open communication, you know, um, sure. b- between both Ken and Amy and, and Sam and Cindy. So having that be the crux of the of the question and this you know little little c plot i think kind of is a, just a very elegant little button to put on it all at the end yeah it's 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 a very smart and and it's a it's a really it's a really lovely grace note um so i, I don't want to say one thing yeah, that's kind of a complete non sequitur but we've okay. quoted emily um on every episode of this podcast and it's it's <laughs> remarkable the way she's found new and insightful uh, interesting things to say about every single episode. So, you know, uh, big ups to our friend, Emily Vanderwerk for her work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, ago. it's really tremendous. You know, obviously I read, uh, I read her reviews every week and, and it's, I, I almost find myself just being like, God, I just want to read the whole bloody thing. Like she's so articulate about finding new ways into it, but also, I don't know, just, she shines a light in, in areas of the show that, that, I haven't seen, and it's 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 a real gift to to have her um, to have her doing this deep dive into the show. Um, so, Genevieve, I'm I'm curious, what would you say was your favorite episode of of the show? Since you know you you've sort of you know you yeah. been inside it oh. for a while. You know, I knew you were going to ask me this question, <laughs> and I still haven't like come up with an answer that it can I be one or am, two. I'm comfortable with. Um, I I think I think it's going to be Kim Kelly as my friend. So um, just because I like, like, I, I love this series. I, I love what it does. Um, one thing I always want more from it is more engagement with Lindsay's point of view outside of the men in her life. Sure. And, and just, you know, uh, sort of female friendships, like female friendships are, just something I like to see thematically explored in art in general. Um, and we get that Kim Kelly as my friend and the, uh, and the finale as finale. well, which is another yeah. uh, highlight for me. We've noted. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Genevieve. Sorry. Sorry. I, I couldn't really hear you. Hear <laughs> oh, I know. I cut you off. Please go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Um, so, you know, right now I'll say those two for that reason, but you know, I, I really do just kind of adore the whole series. So it's really tough. We've, we, we've sort of, we've talked about our favorite episodes. You well, know. next week when we do the finale yeah. with uh, Alan Steppenwall, we, we rank them. So we'll, we'll tease that out and we'll give it away now. But, <laughs> but we've noted, we've noted on the podcast before that in the, in the end of the day and, you know, having not to give away too much, I'm sure everyone's already seen the finale. In the end of the day, all Lindsay really gets out of this year is a friendship with Kim Kelly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the totally. only, that's the only thing that, that survives. And that's actually the only thing worth her time. <laughs> um, that's true. So, so, it did, so that's yeah. kind of interesting that that is almost the thesis. And I think, uh, you know, I, I kind of threw a lot of shade at the show in the beginning for being, I, in my opinion, dude heavy. Well, written very much from the man's point yeah, of view. Totally. And Lin- Lindsay yeah. was almost an idealized female. Um, in terms of what a guy thinks he wants in a girl. And she was less a character, more of a kind of a, a 
uh, representation of that. But that definitely changes as the, as the, as the shows, as the episodes wear on mm-hmm. and it's no better illustrated than her relationship with Kim. It's yeah. And, and, and that much more disheartening that the episode never aired on television. I know. <laughs> um, Cause it really gives you the, the, the framework for them and, and, and it's really kind of their origin story of their friendship. So it's, it's really unfortunate that, that, that episode, you know, didn't air on television, but yeah, no, I mean, both those episodes are, are tremendous. We, we've, you know, as Kenny and I said, you know, we rank our, our episodes with, with Alan next week, but it, truthfully it's, it's, you know, there are some episodes that might be a little weaker than others, but it's such it's it's an incredible run of eighteen episodes. It's like I mean, a fifteen way tie for one. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, um, it really is amazing. Genevieve, can I before we um, mm-hmm. before we go, mm-hmm. could I ask you uh, what were some what are some of your favorite shows on the air right now? Yeah. Oh wow. Putting me on the spot. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I. Um, you, you mean airing right now? Correct? I mean, yeah, airing right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm obsessed with Watchmen. I, I think it's yeah, probably it's the, best. The, the most audacious thing on the on the air right now. Um, and I, I've I've seen episode eight that's airing this Sunday, and oh, I just, I'm, I'm I'm so excited for everyone to get their minds blown again. Very jealous. Uh, <laughs> Um, so definitely that, um, what else? I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for the Mandalorian. It's fun. In fact, I'm actually, as soon as we wrap up here, I'm going to go watch with my fiance. It's sort of our Friday night. Oh, uh, that's sweet. <laughs> baby Yoda uh, time. Tradition. It's baby Yoda time, you know? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm actually having a hard time thinking of what's on the air right now because oh. I, like for work, I've been so wrapped up in like end of year and end of decade. Like, oh yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, what, like whatever, whatever yeah, pops so, to so, mind. Like, I, I, I can't even remember what, you know, aired two months ago, four months ago, you know? Um, but I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot again, I mean, old, but, but of course it's just, uh, you it's know, the best. I'm going to put you on the spot it's, again. Oh God. Okay. Just because it's so rare, we have a real TV <laughs> reporter. No, we do. It's we true, we, we, we get them all the time. But I, but I, what I'm really interested in is uh, what do you think the next five years of TV is going to look like in terms of cable oh streaming <laughs> network? What's going to happen, Genevieve? You know, amazing I, I, that you're asking this question like she can answer you, it in well, two I, minutes. She, she can speculate, but obviously, I'm asking it from an existential place. I mean, I, I actually do have sort of. This is something I, I do think about a, a lot. Um, and I, one of the things I oversee at Vulture is our, our recap coverage, our episodic recap coverage. And in doing that, I, I've started to think that we are moving away from the all like full season at once binge watch model and, and going back yes. towards weekly episodic and 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 standalone episodic like that's that's kind of what i like so much about the mandalorian is that they they are episodes you know it's not just a a star wars movie broken up you know and and watchmen too it is you know a a commitment to that that weekly episodic structure that you know we've kind of gotten away from in the last five to ten years of of you know streaming peak tv whatnot um, creates so a community I, again too, which is something I really miss. Yeah, you know, talking to yeah. everybody, talk, being able to talk about an episode of television rather than having to, you know, unhinge your jaw and eat, you know, thirteen episodes or however many episodes, and then hope that other people have too. Yeah, and, ex- <clears> and, and like <throat> going back to the idea of, of recaps, like I I started writing recaps back in uh, twenty like two thousand six, two thousand seven. You know, mm-hmm. like back when that was in, and like it used to be 
like a like a real gathering place for people to for to sure. talk to read about and talk about uh, something. And and now just the way that viewing is, there's there's less of that. Um, so I'm I'm kind of excited and heartened by signs that people may be wanting to return to that to to some extent. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I'm excited for that too. And I and and I hope that uh, I hope there's more of it. Uh, while we have you, um, can you talk to us about your podcast? Sure. Um, it's actually a film podcast. You know, I'm a, I'm a TV editor by day and a <laughs> film podcaster by night. I'm the whole package. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but it's called The Next Picture Show. We actually uh, just recently passed our uh, 200th episode, four-year anniversary. Nice. Congratulations. Um, and I, um, I co-host it with uh, my former colleagues at The Dissolve, uh, our late uh, film site that we ran. Um, what are the, and what are the it was great, great site. film sites? Yeah, it was a fantastic <laughs> site. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we kind of spun this podcast out of our old uh, movie of the week feature that we did there. Um, and what we do is we take a, a new release film and pair it with a classic film that it has something in common with either, you know, the same director. Sometimes we do, uh, you know, movies that are in the same franchise. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we pair Wonder Woman with Paths of Glory, you know. Like, sure. So, as one does. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we paired uh, Finding Dory with Memento, which I think was also pretty. Uh, that's that's uh, a good one. <laughs> sure, mm-hmm. yeah. So sometimes it's thematic, sometimes it's you know creator based. But um, and we do we do two episodes, one on the old film, one on the new film, and talk about the connections between them, and and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it sounds right super now, cool. I'm gonna I'm literally gonna check it out. I, I uh, is it where you can find podcasts? Essentially, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. We're we're on the uh, we're part of the Film Spotting Network, so you can find okay. us if you go to filmspotting.net, and you know we're on all your normal podcatchers that uh you know just just google us <laughs> but, but we are not the art gallery in minnesota that is also called the next picture show cool. good, to, good to know yeah yeah because th- those guys suck <laughs> well Jenny, thank you so, so much we're truly so honored to have you on here and and uh and we hope that you'll come back for for something else in the future Oh sure. I, I as as I said, I was sixteen year old. I was sixteen years old in nineteen ninety nine. I you know it's right in my nostalgia butter zone. So. <laughs> well, good, fantastic. Huh? Well, I'll send you the list and and we'll get you back on here. Thank you so much, Genevieve. We really appreciate it. Great, of course. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.